plan and then just make it a habit. Hello there, listener. You are extremely welcome to episode 95 of Good Copy, Bad Copy, the B2B copywriting podcast. This month, we're talking about B2B social media content, what works, how you write it, and what good looks like. We'll be hearing from the LinkedIn expert, Luann Wise, about her research into how social has changed since the pandemic. And our very own Ben will share his favourite B2B copywriting tip. My name's David Maguire. I'm creative director at Radix Communications, and our guest co-host for this episode is the undisputed queen of PDF proofing from Lighthouse Proofreading and general force of nature, Lorraine Williams. Hi, David, and thanks for inviting me to join you again. And that really made me smile. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's good. Well, it's just, sorry, it's been far too long since since we've uh, since we've had you on the show. How are things? Good, thank you. So since I last saw you when I came to the office um, and I'd had that bad haircut, um, my hair has now grown out and things are things are good considering it's been crazy. But yeah, things haven't changed too much for me, fortunately. Are you ready to kind of go back into offices yet or or even to go into beer gardens and things? The closer it, all this unlocking stuff has got, the more nervous I've been about it, to be honest. <laughs> the beer gardens. Yeah, I walked through Newquay yesterday to do some errands. Now the shops are open that I could get done. And um, you saw the little like the seats outside the pubs and the people waiting outside and then people drinking coffees and having ice creams. And it was a good vibe. It felt weird because... It feels like you shouldn't be allowed to enjoy it. And it, so it's, it's, it's kind of mixed, but it was just nice to feel like Nuki again and feel part of something again. Yeah, absolutely. And beer gardens. Just, yeah, give me beer gardens. <laughs> <laughs> right then. We'll know, we'll know where to find you for the next few months. Uh, Lorraine, can I ask you to complete your first official duty as this month's co-host and tell the listener how and where they can get in touch with us? Indeed you can. So listener, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can contact the show by email. Podcast at radix-communications.com Or on Twitter. R-A-D-I-X-C-O-M Radixcom Excellently done. Oh, thank you. So, David, uh, we both have our own ideas about social media content and what we like to see, but you've been getting an expert view from one of LinkedIn's own trainers, haven't you? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Luann Wise is an independent marketing consultant specialising in social media and, among other hats that she wears, she's a course instructor for both B2B marketing and LinkedIn learning. So she's a really good person to talk about social media and B2B. Um, Most recently... Luann's been working on a two-part research project with Warwick Business School about social media habits and how they've changed in the pandemic. And she told me that kind of happened by accident. Originally, it was supposed to be a one-off piece of research, but the timings of the research led to the fact that we launched the questionnaire in April 2020 and kind of erred at the time of, shall we crack on with it? Shall we wait? If we wait, how long do we wait? Um, So we started and we went out with the questionnaire. Over 200 marketers filled it in at the time. We added an extra question in at the end as to, okay, so we're in lockdown, in the first lockdown. How has your social media changed? 
So we added that in as a kind of a last minute addition because of the timings, but asked people to answer the questions, the questionnaire in terms of pre-COVID. Um, and we were still so early in it, we could say, you know, can you just answer this as, you know, as current, you know, normal? Um, and we got our survey findings and I did depth interviews as well as the questionnaire, lots of conversations with people. And actually working on it, we kind of, you know, lockdown kept going on, didn't it? It was only supposed to be three weeks and then it wasn't. And then what's happening? And we actually, as many research projects did over the last 12 months, just said, do you know what? We're going to pause on this. We've got some findings. Let's wait and see how the world changes or doesn't change or what happens. And then it turns out that actually now we are 12 months on. We are still almost kind of coming out of lockdown. So actually, we felt it was a good time to kind of actually relaunch it, do the same questionnaire again, because instead of having a one off piece of research at a point in time, we're now going to have some trends over a really pivotal 12 months in our world to hopefully, you know, we want to come out of research with recommendations and hopefully now these trends will help us build back better, um, have <laughs> findings in a world where we're open to new things and change rather than perhaps working in the panic mode, and we'll explore this, that we have been over the past 12 months. So um, we did, we've got a snapshot, we paused, as many things have, and we're, uh, you know, we're going back to see how things have changed. So do you know what the, the, the initial snapshot said? And were there any kind of big surprises or findings from that so far? Um, not any big kind of, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Um, what we haven't quite pulled out is kind of all the cross-referencing by, you know, we ask the standard questions of what industry you're in. We can split it by B2B and B2C. What I'm really interested to have a look at now because of some other work that I've been doing is can we pull out different feelings from the strategists who lead this stuff versus the implementers who are doing it? And I think that may be the biggest shift that we've seen in 12 months as well as, you know, the world has shifted and how have those two levels of such changed too. Mm. So lots of patterns in there, nothing that was kind of, I wasn't expecting it, but I am looking forward to seeing how it's changed. And what I did think about was, because um, I had a look through the questionnaires, was um, TikTok wasn't deemed necessary for business 12 months ago. Um, Please tell me it's not deemed necessary <laughs> for business now. Um, I haven't got the final answer. I've got a few results, but I don't want to be saying, you know, to you in three months time, David, we need to learn a dance um, <laughs> for, for what we're doing. Um, but, of, but of course, the other one, you know, that wasn't even on, on the radar as such 12 months ago was Clubhouse. Um, mm. And yet, you know, from the beginning of 2021, that's now the most downloaded app. People have moved to this. Um, that's going to be an interesting conversation to have as a new trend, but maybe not quite for the world of business as the business yet. I think it may be more about us as practitioners and individuals on right. these platforms. And is that something we kind of look at TikTok and, and things like that? I mean, obviously, our listeners mostly interested in the B2B side of <laughs> yes. things. Yeah. Um, so is, is, is that something that, that you can kind of see in a B2B <laughs> context or is that is is that just always going to be LinkedIn and a bit of Twitter I I think what is always interesting you know the B2B B2C conversation and I've worked in B2B most of my career as well and um 
we are still people. I don't stop being a person talking to you now about B2B. And then, you know, we finish the conversation. and Oh, I'm a different person because I'm a consumer watching reels and TikTok. I think what businesses can learn from these platforms is is about people and about behaviours. And I'm very much one for using social media and some of the platforms, not for sharing content and posting content about business, but understanding what people are interested in and what their patterns are and, you know, what they're doing. Um, mm. And I think TikTok and, you know, Reels and, and those kind of platforms are particularly good for that. Um, but we probably wouldn't use them as a brand to be communicating brand content. Yeah. And then I guess there's a whole different conversation to have about how B2B buyers don't yeah. look like what they look like. 10 years ago you yeah. know yeah. somewhere when I wasn't looking I became old yes. you know? <laughs> yes. being being Gen X so you know first I was I, I was one generation behind now mm -hmm. I'm two, two generations behind and we've got Gen Z's coming through now and now even the millennials are old now <laughs> yes yes I'm with you on that one um, and, and I think that's going to be an interesting to pull out the age data and extract that across the how does social media make you feel how do you think it benefits a business because my experience in kind of doing training sessions is and I did a, an amazing one a few years ago um, for a council and you clearly had digital natives and digital immigrants in the room. And, you know, the older people kind of literally pointed to the intern and said, well, this is your domain. Um, and, and I was really proud that this intern stood up and went, I know how to tweet. You know, I know how to do this stuff. But with my friends, I don't know what you want me to say for the business. Mm. And and the you know more established comms person could go well we need to talk about this 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 and this um so actually the divide was about the technology and mm. I, and I would always argue that perhaps the more experienced comms people understand the messaging and it's easier to teach them how to write for social media than it is necessarily for the digital intern that has been given this but they don't always know what questions to ask they will very rarely in my experience go what are our objectives and what we're we trying to do and who is our audience and what do they need to know about it because they're not that experienced so we have a gap there um mm. that, w that we need to cross um in the world of social media particularly for business because mm. it's you know we're comfortable with it in the facebook world and and you know instagram world as as users any social media mm. user but when you put it into the business world there suddenly becomes a bit of a block for some people. So how do you suggest people, you know, you talk about kind of teaching people to, to write for social media and how do you suggest people overcome that block? What does a, yeah. particularly in B2B, what does a good post yeah. look like when someone's writing that? Yeah, I think the thing about social media is you've got to be in the world. I, I, I find people that are kind of doing social media or trying to create social media content that aren't social media users. And it's kind of, you know, you wouldn't write something for, a magazine without ever buying or opening that magazine to understand mm. what it was about but sometimes people go straight to social media um without really being users and it's quite hard to kind of teach and kind of say well the parties on instagram is a bit like this um versus linkedin is a bit like this you've kind of got to experience it and i say kind of watch it to start with mm. but when it comes to writing content i think there's you know there's best practices whether it's social media content or or blogs or anything else and that's know who you're writing it for mm -hmm. um, and write it for them yeah and 
to have a purpose, you know, particularly when we're doing it for business and, and make sure you include a call to action on it. You know, this isn't a blurt out, read my blog or here's what I think, because you just scroll past it and go. Huh? Um, whereas if you put something into context, if you ask a question, you try and make it into a conversation and make it social on social mm. media. That's a good post. So it, it's more about getting people within the uh, within that platform, within that media to get involved in a conversation with you yeah. rather than just here's a blog. Click the link. Yeah, because, sure. you know, as much as e-commerce is coming to social media, um, that's probably much more retail and not perhaps the B2B world that the listeners here are involved in. People are not going to buy our stuff from one tweet or from one LinkedIn message, no matter how hard they seem to be trying sometimes with these posts that are coming through. Social media is about building these relationships, building your credibility, showcasing what you do and building the the know, like and trust and building the big picture. And the way I would work with it is I'm just trying to have conversations with people. So I'm either trying to start them and get people involved so that I can reply or look for other people that are posing questions or making comments and go, oh, that's great. I'd love to know more. Or, yes, I've done that course and I'd highly recommend it. Because if you can start having small conversations, they will lead to bigger conversations. And that's when you'll do business six months, one year. You know, sometimes it takes nine years. um, One example. But it's not a here's a post by my stuff. Oh, brilliant. Mm. Ka-ching. And, and people should get that in B2B, right? Because <laughs> yeah. the, the buying cycle in B2B is long anyway. Yeah. One of the things that I get asked a lot, and mm. I, I, I'm keen to ask you as an expert and trainer in the area, is yeah. how much do you change your writing style to mm. suit the platform that you're writing for? Yeah. And, and how much do you want to keep a consistent, authentic voice so that wherever people bump into you, you feel like the same character? Which of those, how do you balance those things? I think the word consistency is, you know, is my biggest word when it comes to social media or any content. And Mm. you as an individual or you as your brand, your business will have a tone of voice. And I don't think that necessarily overall the tone of voice needs to change by platform. It's just the nuance and the context that you're in. So on Twitter, you've got 280 characters. So it's got to be short and sharp and to Mm. the point. Um, on Instagram is much more visually led. You know, it's, it's image first before the words. Um, and then you've got, the, you know, the small dynamics of a post of if I saw 30 hashtags on your LinkedIn, I would go, oh, he's copied that straight across from Instagram. He hasn't written that for LinkedIn. Mm. He's kind of he doesn't know how this this world works. So mm. it's kind of more the not the exact message as such, but just making sure that you you get the language right in the in the right place. And, you know, yes, use hashtags on them, but don't don't make it so obvious that you've put an Instagram post onto LinkedIn. Um, you know, you, you can't put a tweet elsewhere because it would look really odd that it's so short without any any context around it. But overall, your tone of voice needs to stay the same. Mm. And I think it again, but it needs to be conversational. This is not I I went I was recalling that I went to an awards do many well good couple of years ago now and the person that kind of stood up and and read you know the sponsor's speech it wasn't even in words that you would use when you're speaking out loud it was the introduction <laughs> it was the introduction to a very corporate brochure and it was like 
no one uses those words and you sound like a robot and you're not yourself. So I think your tone of voice on social media needs to be quite conversational and social. But it's yeah. about the kind of it's, it's about how social media works, how many characters Twitter gives you over LinkedIn, yeah. over over Instagram. Mm, yeah. And, and, and I guess, you know, weird sometimes to be tweeting with the voice of a brand rather than the voice of a of a person. Yeah. Um, do you have, you know, with your kind of B2B experience with that, with that, Han, do you have a sense of what kinds of content mm. work? What sort of formats, subjects, you know, when you're sharing stuff? Yeah. Are, are there any patterns in, in, in <laughs> what people really go for? It's, this is a really interesting one. And, and it could be a whole other podcast top conversation sure. around the balance of kind of professional versus personal. Um, mm. And how, you know, my most popular LinkedIn post over the past few years was me and a selfie of an 80 year old man. OK, the 80 the, the year old man was a professor, Professor Malcolm McDonald. I'd been to a Chartered Institute marketing event, heard him speak about his new book. It was a bit of a, enough of a geek to go up to him afterwards and say, can I have a photo? Um, and that's storytelling. You know, I'm going to an event. I'm increasing my knowledge. I'm getting my CPD. I'm learning from this, you know, this guy. But it was easy for people to engage with. It was easy for any marketer to give it a thumbs up and go, oh, that must have been great. I remember reading his textbooks, you know, still presenting mm. at 80. Oh, my goodness. Um, and you come away and kind of go, well, that was a really easy piece of content. What about when I've written a white paper about this or when I've written an ebook, or when I've talked about a webinar and it doesn't get as much engagement? Mm. But that's because it, I think those kind of posts are kind of people don't always need to get involved with it they clock it they may register but they don't need to comment so you need to have a mixture of what i would call the you know the brand and the and the big stuff but actually expect the the personal stories about you getting your new cim badge or you know a selfie with someone at an event or you know mm. some storytelling will get more engagement but i would say even though it's kind of what i would call personal content you still need to keep it professional it's still within the professional mm context i don't think stories about kind of credit card debts and you know other stuff mm. um that people do try and tell to engage you personally don't engage me um mm. but i think the more personality you can bring to it the context and just yeah tell your story that kind of mm. content seems to do better but better is actually related to your objectives isn't it you know what works well is what you wanted to achieve um if it was downloads of a white paper then myself you wouldn't have achieved mm. <laughs> that um if if it was a white paper you know does that do well well i know what i need to measure against it so it's about having a bigger picture and not one post is going to achieve anything in isolation but being quite focused on what your story arc is mm. and keep telling it consistently and then there's kind of a sort of a mixed like T shapes, like a mixture yeah. of breadth and depth. Yeah. So some stuff you go for big engagement and, and, and then some stuff it's gonna be something that means, you know, that's really valuable for a few people. Yeah. That kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. But I wouldn't overthink it. I think the challenge <laughs> the challenge is that yeah. sometimes people go, Oh, so Luan's just said I need to do this much of this and this much of this and just if you just almost narrate mm. what you're doing, what you're working on, um, you know, there's a podcast coming out. We'll both post it. You know, there's, you know, mm -hmm. got an award yesterday. I'll, I'll post that. It's almost 
don't overthink it, but just know that your content will embrace different levels of complexity, I guess. Thank you. Um, is there anything that our listeners should avoid when they're <laughs> writing for social? Are there any big mistakes that you see people make? <gasps> there are lots of mistakes. And um, I've actually just relaunched my LinkedIn Learning Online course about social media for B2B. And I did a whole video on, on mistakes. And I was looking at it because <laughs> it's quite hard to categorise, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, there isn't a rule book for social media. And you try and go, mm. well, use common sense. And then you see things and go... No one, you know, who signed that off? Where was the common sense? On it's like coming. It's like coming out of lockdown when the government go. People need to use their common sense, and you just kind of head in your hands, going, "People don't have, have any." any. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And even when you give them rules, they try and interpret the rules for their own. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> let's leave that yeah, behind. Yeah, well, pause. Um, so my, my kind of big mistakes were, you know, and again, it's not specific to social. It's probably any content. It's no clickbait or fake headlines. Mm-hmm. you know that's that's a no-no um for me it's don't forget the call to action um mm-hmm. and focus on your audience and the biggest biggest mistake is probably just not being consistent it's when you're busy you think that you don't need to be visible um mm. and you have your head down and doing the work and then you look ahead and you go oh september looks really quiet i better do some stuff you've just got to be visible and consistent and just keep showing up um with the small stories, with the big stories, um, so that you build that know, like and trust. And then it just becomes a habit rather than this big chore or this big thing that you overthink. Um, And I think part of the overthinking as well does come from social media experts that will say you need to include an image or don't include an image or you must put comments in here and not in there and and things. It's almost like Mm. have a plan for what kind of activity you're going to do on social media and then just make it a habit that's so helpful thank you so much if the listener wants to get in touch with you or to hear more from you where's the best place for them to do that i guess the first place to go to would be my website which is mm-hmm. luanwise.co.uk l-u-a-n-w-i-s-e <laughs> um, which then points off to all my social media platforms as well brilliant luan thank you so much really appreciate it thanks david Thanks, Luanne. That was great. We really appreciate your time. Lorraine, lots to dig into there. What stood out for you? Oh, there are so, so, so many bits. Um, I think the bit that stood out was the angle that she's coming from. Because with the B2B side, often people are talking big business to big business. But the only social media I use is LinkedIn and I only use it professionally. I don't use social media for anything else. Um, and so other people I tend to follow are individuals who run a business like myself, who are trying to chat and promote and connect with other individuals and bigger companies. But I don't tend to follow that many brands. So the angle that I see it from does really blur that personal and professional line and is probably quite different to some of the things you would see in the research and the results that Luanne's going to get. Yeah, although I think kind of, particularly you know, with LinkedIn and, um, you know, we talk about kind of LinkedIn articles, for example, always come from a, a, a person rather than from a, a brand at the moment. And I, I think that, that LinkedIn, from a brand point of view, can be really powerful in establishing 
the individuals, the you know the experts, the and the helpful people within that brand. So I th- I think there's some of that humanizing element going on, and the other thing, of course, is. I mean, you're a uh, a proofreader. You want to, you know, to work with what marketing agencies, uh, marketers, things like that. So from that point of view, although it's personal, it's still totally a a B two B thing for you, right? Or is it also just chatting with other like minded people? It is, yeah, it is B two B in that sense, and it is the marketing agencies and the bigger brands. Um, I think it's because I think that I'm talking to the people that I know on there and that hopefully by chatting to the people that I do know, not necessarily personally in messages and things, but by sharing things as if I'm chatting, you know, sharing a post for you to read, that hopefully these other people will see it. So, yeah, actually I am talking person to person because those people in the big businesses are just people too. Um yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and similarly, you know, you see people on on LinkedIn going, "Does anybody know a good proofreader?" <laughs> and just you know, all of the copywriters come out of the the woodwork and go, "Oh, Lorraine, oh, yeah. <laughs> Lorraine's the one you want." That was funny the other day. <laughs> but equally, you can see on LinkedIn someone go, "Anyone know a good place to get a certain thing online that I need to buy for my kid?" And people will respond probably even more so than for like professional services post Mm. it's people are coming together for much more than just business on there and i I, there's that whole kind of it's not facebook but it's it is there's something more enjoyable about chatting about the more human personal side of things so you can put up an amazing post with a link to a really cool blog or video or that you've written yourself or that someone else has done but i find that you might not necessarily get that much engagement. And obviously, that's not always the thing you're looking for. It's just good to get it out there sometimes. But I find that if you put something in there that is just a bit more witty or human, you're going to get more people commenting on it. So I posted something the other day and then mentioned hula hoops and twiglets. Everyone's Mm. commenting about hula hoops and twiglets. Yeah. (laughs) Hardly any mention of what I've talked about, but it's really important that some people do not like twiglets. And are they crisps? Are they not crisps? What do you call them? Are they called snacks? And so this whole thing has started about twiglets and hula hoops. Yeah. And then does that turn into business? I think that's the thing that's 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 often interesting for me. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you is that um, a lot of the stuff that you, you share on, on, on LinkedIn is quite personal it's quite sherry sometimes you know and it, and it's and it's very individual to you and it's quite funny and and you've got all these chats going on and then sometimes you'll come and you you'll share a guide to proofing a pdf or whatever um and something that's a bit more about the job a bit more about the the business do you find that you get I mean, obviously, you probably get more engagement on the the light-hearted stuff. But when it comes to, do you know which of those is actually driving the business and the leads for you? I don't, you know, actually. And when you look at stats for LinkedIn, it's weird because it doesn't give you dates. It'll say, if you look at a post from a few weeks ago, it won't say you post it on a certain date. It'll just say you post it a number of weeks ago. And I find it very hard to kind of follow the stats. I did start tracking them and then I stopped. It was just too fiddly. Um, so I don't 
really know what does well. I don't really know where leads come from. Um, but I do, I, by posting the more chatty personal stuff, I just, I would rather make people laugh. I just yeah. want to talk junk and make people laugh and make people smile. That makes me feel better. And then I have to remind myself that I have to promote the business now and again. But if I, <laughs> if I can get people chatting about something fun and daft and we have a nice time, then they might want to follow me. They might then see the stuff. They might comment or post and someone else sees that. So it's just about, God, it sounds so sleazy, doesn't it? But we are on there to get business. So, you know, it is good when people are commenting and liking and sharing because it does spread the awareness. I'm going to ask you about that because when you say, I mean, is it really you say okay in theory we're there to get business but it feels like as an observer you know and again it's the same way that that, that I use social media sometimes you don't even want to know about my twitter this week <laughs> I saw a post and then I had oh to my, go through the post to try and oh, find what the, that post the, was the about fight. I, I ended up having a fight with the first ever winner of the x factor in the UK on 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 twitter and he called me some very rude things which I found <laughs> quite amusing um anyway but uh, you know th- there is an element of that though you know where it's kind of fun, though, isn't it? You, you know, some are you there, and you kind of then reminding yourself it's the business. It's the business that you're there for. This is going to sound horrid, um, and it's not meant to. But I, because I've met some awesome people on there, and I've made some great friends, and I have some really good laughs. Like the banter on there is exceptional. Um, but if I didn't need to be on there, I wouldn't be on there. Most of my business comes through LinkedIn, and if. It didn't. I would not be on social media. Huh. I don't, I don't enjoy it. You fake it very well. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> do you... One of the things that I did before we move on, one of the things that I, I did want to pick up on is, um, you know, Luan saying that a lot of the principles for um, for writing good social content... Um, are the same principles as for writing any copy. And when people ask me, you know, in my training sessions for advice on writing social, I sometimes feel like I'm almost shortchanging them by going, same as everything else, really? All the other stuff that I that we've just talked about, it kind of transfers. You know, the stuff about knowing your audience, using their um their language, having a your purpose in, in mind and um that kind of thing. Um so from that point of view, it's it's a copy job like like any copy job. Um but I know that you're someone that kind of, you know, you would you find or you say that you find writing harder than than proofing and, and that kind of thing. When you are actually writing the word, do you is that just what comes out, or do you actually really think about it and really agonise over it, or is it quite an easy job as copywriting jobs go for you? No, it's really, 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 really hard. I find it terribly hard, which is why if I had the option to not be on there, I wouldn't be on there. Like I would happily be on there just for witty bants, um, but to actually have to put something together because I do find writing quite difficult. So writing in my voice is easy. I can write like me. That's not a big issue. I can write well, that's fine. But actually writing something that has a point and has a logical flow and needs to offer this and lead to that, 
and actually communicate something useful. And I find all that really flipping hard. So I can spend I can spend a day writing one LinkedIn post, and that is not an exaggeration. So how do you approach that? Are there things that you look to include? Are there structures or thoughts that, that you use that are kind of a go-to so that you haven't just got a flashing cursor? <laughs> I did a big deflated when you asked that. Um, <laughs> I wish I had tips. I wish I had advice. That would be amazing. And then I would follow it. Um, I don't. I look at the blank screen every time and go, ah, oh, crikey, I've got to think of something that is actually going to be useful. But also it has. To, I have to enjoy writing it, so it's got to be funny. Um, otherwise, what's the point of me bashing something out that I've not enjoyed putting together? So I really have to think about it. And I'm terrible at thinking about my audience and my customers and potential clients and all that. I do all of the bad things. <laughs> and then I post it and then I realise that I've fiddled with it so much that I've actually lost the meaning slightly. And there's usually a typo. I think the thing that's helpful about social media when it comes to thinking about your audience, though, is you know who commented on your last post, particularly if it's, you know, you're not writing for a big, big brand. You kind of know who's engaging. You know who the audience is. You've got that interaction to draw on. So it's easier to picture one person and write for that person um, than it is um, if you were just kind of writing into the ether. The, the kind of the nice thing about social media is you can pick it up and get that context, which hopefully can give you a head start, perhaps. Yes. And, but you just saying that has just made me realise I write for the people who I engage with on there, but they are not necessarily the people that buy from me. I bet they are. <laughs> would, you, would you like me to get my spreadsheet out and show you? <laughs> um, but so there is the same people that we tend to comment on each other's posts, not in that kind of weird group thing that was going on, um, but just that we get each other in they pop up regularly in your feed because obviously you're commenting, so you see them more. Um, and I tend to write for them more than anything in terms of I'm picturing them, not necessarily that that is what they would want to hear. I think I'm writing for the other people I want to lure in, but I'm somehow writing it for the people I have the chats with. Well, there's a bit of a disconnect there that I've never really thought about. I'm glad we had this chat. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, kind of, although I think that... If the person that you have in mind is like-minded or has similar interests or similar priorities to the person that buys the thing, Synergy. then having that avatar can be really useful. It's one of the, the, the tricks that I use in my, my own copywriting. Having a person in mind, even if they're not the exact person, it means that you can write much more directly and make it much more personal. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true, actually. And I suppose they are very much crossed over and it is quite similar. I think just how I'm thinking about it is taking me off in different tangents while we're having this conversation. I'm kind of assessing how I'm doing it as we're talking. <laughs> well, I wanted to find out a bit more about what 
social media content actually works for people and what people enjoy. Um, so as ever, it was always a good idea to extend things out to our community. So I channeled my inner four tops and I reached out uh, on uh, LinkedIn and also B2B Marketing's Propolis Hive for brand and content strategy. Um, I just asked what kind of social media content works for people. So I got this response from uh, Dan Smith, who's venture lead for digital environmental services for offshore wind development, which is easy for me to say, uh, at Royal Hesconning DHV um, in the Netherlands, I think. Uh, Dan said, the videos that the World Economic Forum do always catch my eye. Must be a lot of work behind those, though, because they're really succinct. Uh, Kate Rowe, who's the brand and content hive expert at B2B Marketing, agreed with this idea of succinct videos. She said how-to videos, especially when they're under 90 seconds. Um, and we heard from Yvonne Deegan, who's uh, Integrated Marketing Director at Velo, uh, and she added, Organically, I have to give it to Drift as they have their target audience nailed down and have a good spread of webinars, in-feed video and articles across core topics each week. All native, but they offer value, which means I can engage with a form of content on a topic no matter how much time I have available in any given week. Um, Lorraine, did any of those jump out for you or did you have your own personal favourites? Yeah, with Drift and the World Economic Forum, um, what I like about them is that they know what they're doing with their content. And what they're doing is actually really similar and also really simple. So they're both short. So Drift has, well, it's on LinkedIn, um, they have their snappy text, quite punchy, short, and they have a clear call to action. The World Economic Forum, I'm going to say WEF. Um, <laughs> on, <laughs> yeah. On their video. You go for I'm it. I'm going to get the words, word, I said, oh, already done it, words jumbled. Um, so they, on their videos, well, under their videos, they just have one short line of text. Their videos mm. post a question at the end and they also have a clear call to action. Uh, so they're both clear and clean. They have no fluff and no guff. And also they're both visually consistent as well. So Drift, they keep mm. the same designs and colours in their images and that's across their like own content and videos, things like that. Um, and then WEF have the same style of their videos, um, the way they're all cut together, and also have the same style, I don't know if you call them annotations, but, you know, the words that they put on top of the video. Um, yeah. That's all exactly the same kind of design style. Um, so they've both made themselves recognisable, even, in a way. Mm. They value our time. You know, they're straight to the point and give us the info they want to share and that we want to, like, consume. Um, mm. And ultimately, a brand is only as strong as our perception, whether that's positive or negative. And they've just made all that easy to spot. Like, it's them, we know it's them, and we like their stuff. I really, I really like that about them. But what I found interesting about Drift's was um their posts are very much image and link heavy so to their own and external mm. content and you often read linkedin i'll say read here other people do listening um linkedin experts say that images may lower engagement or that links take people away from linkedin and so linkedin punishes you by not showing you up in the feeds that much mm. and i mean there's like the algorithms change and the advice changes, but I'm often reading that having links and images isn't actually a great thing for LinkedIn. Mm. But Drift are doing that, whether or not that's strategic, whether or not they just do it 
because it suits them. Either way, what they're doing is really consistent. And I really like that. So again, it plays into that. You know it's them. It's easy to spot. They're not wasting our time with all the blather mm. in the different posts. And I, I quite like that they've gone that way. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that the... Um, with Dan's comment, I think that the the part that was really insightful was where he was like, it must be a lot of work because they're really succinct. You yes. know, and the idea of the extra thought that you have to put into something to work out what you can take out and to work out how short you can make it. You know, a lot of people go, well, we're going to pay our copywriters by the word, <laughs> but fewer words are more work you know yeah. um a lot of the t a lot of the time at the point that you made um about the captions i think is really important both both the world economic forum and and drift what the thing that i that i notice is you know they have those open captions you don't have to opt to switch on subtitles yes. or something if you are um either um, hearing impaired, uh, or if you've just, you know, don't want the audio on your, on your computer and find instant playing audio annoying, um, you can read straight there. It's quite inclusive yes. without being showy about it. Um, it's just, you know, it's just the right thing to do from an accessibility point of view, and they just get on with it. Yeah, I don't listen to, um, I don't watch videos if they don't have captions because I don't enjoy listening to someone talk, she says, as a co-host of a podcast. Um, but I like to be able to read it because then I can read it at my speed. Whereas if I'm listening, I'm kind of waiting and I find that I find that quite hard to do. So the fact that they have them mm. is that makes it so much easier for me. Um, yeah. And they're... I think so, so many, sorry, I was just going to say, so many times... What is good for accessibility is good for content. It's the same thing. It's not a. It's not a trade. Yeah, because it's good for people. Sure. Sorry. What were you? <laughs> what was the next? Thing you were I was say? just going to say with Dan saying um, there must be a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. Is that you can tell that these are, you know, these aren't just individuals like me. These are brands because they do have the resources and the time, you know, the money to put into doing exceptional content and it is hard to make something that's as smooth and punchy and breezy as that it's not something you can do that easily and so that does differentiate people like businesses like myself from the bigger businesses but that's I mean that's neither good or bad it's just saying that you know you can kind of see the people I see online and how I write is very different to the bigger b2b brands yeah, I think it depends on your audience, doesn't it? You know, like, you know, that you're looking to reach individual marketers and so what you're sharing is engaging and, you know, when you're sharing those those guides that you publish, it's, you know, it's useful for people um, and that kind of thing. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, uh, as you say, it's, it's a mix, but I think that if you're bringing something of value, again, you're not talking to a business, even in B2B, you're talking to a person. Yep. And if you can be useful uh, and be helpful or, or or just be funny, then you have every chance of engaging them. That is true. And made me smile. <laughs> <laughs> Cripes, we're almost out of time. We've just about got time for our copywriting tip of the month. Copywriting tip of the month! So my writer's tip is a pretty simple one, and that is to talk to people 
So, for example, if you're having trouble with a piece of work, like a sentence or paragraph that you've rewritten countless times but never seems to sound right, or you're struggling to understand something, just pick up the phone, talk to a friend, talk to another writer you know, or if you have the privilege, turn to a colleague and just run it by them because you know, chances are they'll see something you're missing and you'll be back on your way before you know it. Thanks, Ben. That is definitely the tip of a man who's been locked down for a year. No two ways about it, but thank you. That's great advice. Have you just called time on me? Because you didn't give me the bell for last orders. <laughs> Are you in the pub beer garden already? This is, this is where we're back to the beer garden, right? I'm sat outside. I've got my cider. The seagulls are over there. Yeah, <laughs> I think the listener probably hear the seagulls in the in the background. But yeah, I, I I do. I'm afraid think that is all we have time for this month. Much as I'd like to go on, um, could you do some thank yous for us? Sure thing, I can. Um, so thanks again to Luan for telling us about social content. And thanks to everyone who shared their favourite content with us. So that's Dan, Kate and Yvonne. Thanks also to Ben for reminding us that copywriters still need to talk. And thank you, listener, for listening. Lorraine, if the listener wants to find out more about you, maybe get some proofreading or read a guide into how to proof a PDF or something, where can they get in touch with you? They can go to the website, which is lighthouseproofreading.co.uk, or they can ping me an email, which is lorraine at lighthouseproofreading.co.uk, and I will be sat here waiting. Or they can contact you on LinkedIn, and you'll hate oh, yeah, them yeah, forever yeah. for it. That, that LinkedIn thing we've been talking about. They can contact me on there too. <laughs> <laughs> and if you'd like to contact the show, you can do that on email. Podcast at radix-communications.com twitter at radixcom that's r-a-d-i-x-c-o-m and thank you lorraine as always it's been fun will you come back again yes will it be be in person (laughs) next time (laughs) i want to see faces (laughs) (laughs) we can try we can we can we can only hope i'll Um, I'll bring party rings again Okay, you are on, definitely. That's a date. Uh, Thank you, listener, as well, for for joining us. Until next time, remember, social media is the ultimate equaliser. It gives a voice and a platform to anyone who's willing to engage. And that's precisely why it's terrible and it's going to destroy us all. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.